0: Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling the Walk Through the Book of Acts, Jesus at Work. And today Pastor Jason continues in his series on the Book of Acts in Part 19 today in a sermon he's entitled, A Grace-Filled Church. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Today we're looking at verses 32 to 37. Here's Jason.
1: Well, good morning. And welcome again to to Rancho Baptist Church. I am Pastor Jason, one of the pastors here. I am going to be doing something a little bit different. After our elders meeting yesterday, I really felt before the Lord that I needed to spend a little bit of time talking about something um, that would be related to community groups. And so what I want to talk about this morning by way of introduction is relationships. Now when I say relationships to you, I'm not sure what comes into your mind. No doubt we all have different perspectives and and. and different histories. But I'm sure that one thing we could agree on is that when we think about relationships, we think about something complex. That there's many facets to relationships. And to the relationships that the Lord brings us into, the relationships that we're involved in. And yet at the same time, I'm. isn't it strange how it, it, at times we'll build up walls? And we won't allow some people to come in and we'll allow others to come in. And I believe it's because it's much easier to shut people out than to let people in. And I saw this even on the mission field in a place where you wouldn't think this would happen, and yet this this does happen. Not so much in the village where we worked, but in what, what I would call a base, a base of operations where so many missionaries lived. And we'd go to visit these places, and at one time we actually lived on one of these bases. and it And it was consisted of a whole bunch of different missionaries. And you'd have a pilot living there, you'd have accountants, you'd have teachers, you'd supply buyers, all sorts of, of, of different people. And, and as they moved on to this base, the need became for them to have more and more houses. So you start building more and more houses, and the community grows and grows and grows. And and then the, the community on the outside, maybe the particular land that that, that particular base is built upon, that village surrounding that community, that base of operations for us as, as missionaries, that community starts to notice, hey, they're, they're different than we are. Hey, look, they have bicycles. And, and so then one night, somebody decides that they're going to creep inside of their <laughs> base and they're going to take that bike. And then another time they, they, they begin to notice, oh man, look at all the shirts and shorts that they have in there. They're hanging up outside on, on their racks. And, and so, hey, we'll just creep in even during the day and, and, and we'll steal some shirts and some shorts and then things escalate and then people creep in at night and, they, and, and maybe they'd steal a washing machine and, and this and that. And it, Inevitably, that base of operations, they'd gather together and they'd say, okay, what are we going to do? Okay, I know what we can do. Let's build a fence and so they'd build a fence around their perimeter. And then the, the people outside well that, that, they'd figure out a way to get inside. They'd either go over the fence or they'd dismantle the fence and they'd still come in. And so in, in, in some cases what would they do then they'd go ahead and they'd they'd buy some guard dogs. And then and then they'd patrol the perimeter with these guard dogs. And before you know it, year after year after year, you know what happens to the relationship with those people that you have come to share the gospel with? It's broken. You have no foundation. You have no testimony. And you can't reach the very people that you're there to reach. Why? Because you've become an entity unto yourself and you've closed yourself off from the people around you. And so then what needed to happen is you'd have to, so to speak, break those, those walls and establish relationships again w- with the, the neighboring villages. I, I believe that in, in, in some cases that, that churches can, can create a, a similar environment. Without knowing it, it, is, it isn't like that. The, these missionary bases just decide, oh yes, let's go ahead and ruin our relationship with the people that we've come here to, to share the gospel with. And, and, and I think in, in churches, we don't think about that as well. We, we don't recognize how important relationships are, one with another. And we don't even think about the fact that now, because we're so tight-knit, that we're actually not letting anybody in. And we don't recognize that what we're doing is we're limiting the tremendous impact that God's grace can have in those around us on a Sunday. And even going further than that, the impact that God's grace in community lived out can have on a community or a neighborhood that that maybe a particular group is meeting in. Turn with me and and you'll see that this does have something to do with God's Word and what we've been looking at. And actually, as we look at the book of Acts, the thing that we have seen over and over again, what we're going to see in in Acts chapter 4, is that this early church, the, the first church, of Christ established in the Bible, in the New Testament that we see. What are they all about? They're all about community. They're all about one anothering. They're all about unity. Look at verse 32 in chapter 4. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them, the three things that I that, that I want to make mention of in, in starting off, and this is again all, all an introduction, is three aspects of the early church that were part of who they were. One is unity; that's what they shared. The next is the gospel, and, and, and the final thing is God's grace. That is what we're going to see. That is what is impacting them. That is what they were all about. And so when we see this idea of one soul and and, and one heart, it speaks of the bond of unity that they had. A unity of purpose and understanding. And if we think about it, isn't this what we all desire? Isn't this something that we want? We want to be in a place where we belong, where we are accepted and loved, that we are a part. If I were to ask you, and this is a very weird question, but if I were to ask you, how many of you talk to your dog? How many of you would yeah, that's funny, the first service everybody raised their hand too. And and you know what? I get you, because if you came to our house, you would see that we all talk to our dogs. And our dogs actually talk back. Because we have huskies. And huskies, they they, they just like to communicate. But why do we talk to our dogs? Because we desire companionship. Do we not? Do we not desire companionship? Do we not desire relationship one with another to such an extent that you'll even have companionship with a dog or a cat or a bunny? But why? How how come we long for for longing in relationship? How come we long for companionship? Turn with me to Genesis and, and let's look at the beginning because what we're going to see is this is the way God has created us. You, you can't deny this because this comes from our loving creator. The reason why we desire companionship and relationship because God is a god of companionship and relationship. Chapter 1 verse 26. A passage that we're all very familiar with and I'm just I'm going to highlight maybe two different aspects that that possibly you haven't seen before. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we all know that this verse teaches us that we're made in God's image, but, but do you recognize what that image entails? Do you recognize what God is communicating to us in this verse? Then God said, let us make man. Let us, the, the very words in the, in, the, in the phraseology that Moses uses speaks of communication among the Godhead. He, he could have termed this a different way to make it look like God wasn't speaking to God, and, and, and I recognize that sounds strange, right? But that's what's going on. There's communication, there's relationship among the Godhead. That's what the Trinity is. One God, three persons. Distinct in person, distinct in function, but one. One in essence. So you can't pull God apart, but we also have to recognize that there are three distinct persons of the Godhead interrelating with one another forever. Why? Because they are in relationship. They have always been in relationship one with another. So when they create us, when they create man... It's part of who man is, as being created in God's image. This is something that we must have. Community. Relationship. And, and this is the reason why we desire relationships. Because we're, we're following suit. The way that our loving creator exists. Being one God in three persons. This is how we, we were, are, are, are wired. This is how we're, we're created. Notice also that of all the ways for, for the early church to be depicted, he, he uses the fact that, that this word, this congregation, which really just means a group, a crowd. So many people termed as one heart. Many people termed as one. What, what does that remind you of? Well, well, for me, it reminds me of what we see in Genesis chapter 2. Turn there, 18 to 25. It reminds me of marriage. Because there's nothing else in Scripture where we see quite the same dynamic. Where two become one. And what we see in the early church is an entire group becoming one heart, one soul. I love this passage of Scripture. Look at this. And and why does God do this? Why does He have Adam go through the whole naming of the animals and, and everything else? Well, yes, to give names to the animals. But to give him an object lesson of how important companionship is. And that Adam did not have a suitable helper, a companion. He was made for relationship, but he didn't have anyone to share that relationship with except for God. And God wanted it to be not just a vertical relationship with him, but a horizontal relationship with another. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper. Suitable for him. Unique for him. Designed for him. And out of the ground the Lord God fled every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. That's the point. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. He didn't even have a choice in the matter. Because God knew what he needed more than even Adam did. And he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And what? And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's the picture. The two shall become one. Two flesh become one. God is tying the closeness of, of marriage, I believe. Now turn back to, to Acts chapter 4 with what we see in in the early church. Why? Because we as a church, we're supposed to be tight. We're supposed to be as if we are a family. We're we're supposed to experience the closeness of something like a family. And yet we know that that oftentimes in, in, in a family... It doesn't always go right. That marriages don't always last. That they fail. That churches split. That there are broken relationships within churches, within families. And that the perfection that that, that we see in the beginning of Genesis in this perfect marriage relationship, think about it. They never argued. Why? Because there was no sin. There was no selfishness at this point. Now, what do we have? We have everything turned upside down. Why? Because of sin. Sin turned everything upside down. Sin affects everything about us and who we are, and it warps our relationships. But praise the Lord, that is not the end of the story, right? The biblical account does not end at Genesis chapter 3, but it goes on. Look at verse 33 in Acts chapter 4. As even here in in Acts, we see the answer to man's sin problem, the, the answer to our strained relationships, the answer to everything being turned upside down. And what is it? It's the Gospel and God's grace. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. What's the answer? The gospel and God's grace. The gospel is able to restore our relationship with God. Sin comes in and what has it done? It separates us from God. But the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross allows our sin to be dealt with so that we can be restored to a right relationship with God. But not only a right relationship with God vertically, but it allows us to have a right relationship with one another. A relationship where we can encourage, challenge, and grow in godliness one with another. And it's only through the Gospel that we understand the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that now lives and resides in us and works in us and allows us, even in our marriages and in our relationships with one another, to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Because the Gospel unleashes God's grace upon His children. God's Word unleashes the grace of God. And that grace is active. That grace is transforming. That that grace is, is displayed as we live in community with one another. And God desires to work graciously through others in our lives. And, it, and it's for this reason that, that body, life, community, life, like what we're talking about with community groups, it shouldn't be something that's optional. Because we all need it. And I know when I say, oh, it's not optional, okay, what are you going to do, Pastor Jason? You're going to enforce this. And, and in Papua New Guinea, <laughs> There's a church I went to in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. And if you can believe this, the, the deacons of the church, they have sticks. And they, and they stand on the perimeter of the church. And if anybody falls asleep, you know what those guys do? Stop. So that's what we're now going to do. All the ushers, all the greeters, the deacons, we're all just going to walk around with sticks. And anybody who doesn't come to a community group, we're going to whack you and tell you, No. But it is important. So important that, that think about this. Think about eternity. What is the new heaven and the new earth going to look like? Are you going to be given an island unto yourself where you will live by yourself for all of eternity? No, of course not. The, the idea is that God saves us in order to allow us the gift of His grace to be lived out in community. And this will be displayed, no doubt, in heaven. And, and, and I believe that, that the new heaven and the new earth, it'll, it'll be a place where the redeemed of the Lord will dwell in perfect harmony with each other and with God forever. Without sin holding us back. Right now, sin is holding us back, but right now we're, we're able to kind of have a practice session of learning to get along, pointing forward to, to what will be. And what we see in, in the book of Acts in chapter 4 in particular, I, I believe it, it's a picture of the perfect reality that we will see, no doubt in heaven, on this earth, as we, as Christ's church, will exist for all of eternity with one another in perfect harmony. And, and, and it's because of this that, that we're putting an emphasis on these community groups so that no one will be left out. To give us a place so that we can share life together outside of the context of just Sunday mornings. Why? Because we can't share life together on a Sunday morning. Praise the Lord for Sunday mornings. We're not going to stop teaching God's Word. We're not going to start having Sunday mornings. But there's more. There's more to our spiritual life than, than just this. this. This will give us a place where we as believers can gather together for the purpose of growing in likeness. Becoming more and more like Him. A place where all, and I I mean all, I mean families with children, I I, I mean seniors, I mean widows, I mean singles, that that all of us gather together as a tight-knit group, as a family. And what do we do? We will worship. We will share a meal. We will care for others. We'll be encouraged in the Word together and we will minister together. In small little groups. Well, small could be 30, 40, 50. Why? To take us deeper and deeper into fellowship, both with one another and with our God, and to, into a deeper caring for one another as well. The book of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Okay, so much with my introduction. <laughs> we, we pray that all of us will understand the that, that significance be behind being able to get involved in, in one of these groups. And the koinonia, the fellowship that we can have one with another. But let us go back to Acts chapter 4. And the outline that's in, in your bulletin notes, we're not going to get that far today. We'll probably only get through the first two <laughs> points. But Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. And let me read it all. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. and Abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the testimony of the early church. Teach us how You want us to act, how You want us to live one with another, and how glorious Your precious Gospel is, and how amazing Your wonderful grace is. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. So what we see pictured here is four pictures of the early church that that really makes this early church distinct. And the way that they functioned. In particular in their mindset, in their message, in the manner by which they lived, and in the model of who we see represented And so, first what we see is this, the mindset. How did they think? How did they relate to one another? And we see that the mindset was of one heart and one soul. Look at verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Now, we've noticed in the, in the book of Acts that whenever Luke is trying to take one segment, one section of Scripture and tie it into the previous section, usually he uses a, a time word. Like in verse 21, when they had threatened, saying, okay, this had happened and now this is what happens next. Well, well with this section, we don't, we don't see a time word. And, and the reason is is because Luke is really taking a step away from the storyline or the narrative he 's not progressing the story any further what he 's doing is he 's stopping and and, and it 's like he's he's ripping open the the top of the church, the ceiling, the roof, in order to give us a, a perspective of what this church is all about and In this we see first that there, that it's it's called as I said earlier a congregation. This really just means a crowd it means a fairly large in size group gathered for whatever purpose. It doesn't have to be religious. And while the the word denotes large, it doesn't tell us exactly how many because that's not what's in perspective, what's being emphasized. It's not the actual number. It's just the idea this is a large group, but what really is being emphasized is the character and the life of the group. And the first thing that we see after them being depicted as a congregation or a big group is that they are those who believed. Literally, it's those who were believing. Those who were convinced of something. Those who thought something to be true. In Papua New Guinea, the way that we translated this this word believe or faith was to say with one thinking it is true. And what we have to recognize is not only do they believe with one thinking that this was true, but the entire church believed. This would be the one church that if any of us could go to this church, we could know without a shadow of a doubt they were all believers. There there wasn't anyone there that was a false believer that thought they were saved but weren't indeed saved. No. All of these were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Man, just think about that. And then it says this, they were of one heart and soul. In the Greek, you could attach the one to both. So so it's really saying they were of one heart and they were of one soul. One heart, what does that mean? We know that the heart is the control center of a person. It's the governing faculty of the person where all their thoughts and their actions stem from, as as Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19. But but I believe the meaning here is is, is more an emphasis on the fact that, that all of their thinking was along the same lines as to what was important. That the main thing for all of them was the main thing. And what was the main thing? The main thing was the gospel. That's what they were all about. As a heart. As to what was important. Then we, then we see this word that they were also one soul. That could be translated as, as, as a life or a spirit or, or even depicting friendship. It's this idea of all the aspects of a person meaning his identity, his personality, the, the inner life of, of the body, the intellect, the will, the emotions, it's, it's all tied up. And, and it's with this perspective of, of eternity. Right? Because when we talk about a soul, we're not talking about just now. <laughs> In this present life, it's understood that it goes past this present life. That when a person dies physically, what happens? His soul immediately goes into God's presence. Remember the parable of the rich man. That God told the foolish man that this night your soul is what is required of you. In Luke 12.20 So this rich man, he dies and his soul is then ushered right into God's presence. For what? For an accounting. And ultimately, all souls will be united with resurrected bodies. Some will be united with the resurrected body unto eternal life. And everyone else will be resurrected unto eternal death and torment. Which would lead us to the place, do you know, if you were to die today, where you would go? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Have you believed unto Him? Do you recognize that there is no way for you to earn salvation? That Christ accomplished what you could never do by dying on the cross? And have you believed, have you trusted Him, have you repented of your sins and turned to Him? If you'd like to talk more about that, please come and see one of us after the service. And then we, we see that what this one heart and one soul is really getting at is the, is the fact that they were, they were unified. They were unified in mind and will and even in their love and in their purpose for why they existed to such an extent that then it gives us this depiction of the way that they lived, that they said, what not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. This word claimed. It's not the idea that they just did this one day. And then perhaps the next day or the day after that, they said, oh no, what have I done? I can't believe I sold some of my stuff. Can I please have it back? It's it's more of the habitual continually Something that was happening day and day and day after the next day. Day after, day after, day after, continually. And then when they would think about their stuff, they they didn't think of it as belonging to themselves, even though it did belong to them. They looked at it as something that was common, property to all, being of mutual interest, shared by all. When you pull it all away, what, what were they really considered? They were. They they considered people more important than all the stuff that they had. They considered people more important than their houses and even their land, even though houses and land were very important in this time. And, and notice in this too something very challenging. You don't see this idea of them expecting anything in return. It's not a loan given. It's just freely given. Why? Because they're not holding on to things so tightly as I hold on to things. There's a readiness to share what they had because no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Where did this come from? How could someone function like this? Well, well the answer is in verse 33. The message. What they were all about. Look at verse 33. And with great power the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. So what were they all about? They were all about the message about the Gospel. And when it says, and with great power, that word great, it, it means beyond the normal standard of what normal intensity was. That this was intense. That, that this giving was, or this power that they were doing was not the normal kind of power that they were even preaching with. And as the apostles were giving testimony, proclaiming what we're going to see is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, they were doing this day in and day out as well. It wasn't like they would preach on the resurrection one day and then stop. No, this was continually happening just as the giving of their stuff was continually happening. And then it says, what were they giving? They were giving testimony. That which serves as a proof consisting of a statement that's brought out as a testimony. And and what does this all boil down to? This all points to the Gospel. They were giving testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And isn't this what they've been doing since the beginning? Isn't this what we have seen in every chapter of the book of Acts? Going back to chapter 1, verse 22, before Pentecost... And as they're thinking about who the replacement is going to be for Judas Iscariot, and they end up choosing Matthias, what was one of the criteria? He had to have been an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. Why? So that he could be a preacher like them of the resurrection. An eyewitness and give testimony of that. We see it in chapter 2, verse 31, with Peter's first sermon after Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, actually... What does he preach on? He preaches on the resurrection of Christ. Chapter 3, Peter's second sermon. After the healing of the paralyzed man. And he and this big crowd gathers. What does he preach? He preaches on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives them the Gospel. Finally, in, in chapter 4, the same chapter. Earlier. When he has to give an account to the Sanhedrin. What, what does Peter preach? He preaches on the resurrection of the Lord. And as a result of this, what do we see happening? We see an abundant grace was upon them all. It's, it's the same word as the great power. So you could have translated it as not only great power, but great grace. That as great power was upon the preaching, and as God's word went forth, then God's grace flowed down upon them, covering them. Man, it's talking about something that, that is divine favor gracious care and goodwill on the part of God lavishing it upon them. But I, I, I believe a, a remarkable aspect of everything that's going on is, is what wasn't preached. When you think about the results and you think about the effect and the way that they're living and what we're going to look at next week and what, what you already see in the fact that everything was common property to them. They didn't preach on tithing. Or giving. Or holding loosely to to your material possessions. He he preached on the gospel. And, And this was to people that were already saved. How could this have such an impact? Because think about the message of the gospel. That the gospel points to something far more lasting and more significant than anything that this world has to offer. Does it not? That the gospel points to something eternal. And the more that we grasp that, and the more that we are mindful of that, and the more that we consider that, and the more that we understand an eternal perspective, the more that that our grip on all of the stuff that that we have gets less and less tight. And, and, And... and before you know it, you're, you're, you're laying it at the Lord's hand, feet. And you're saying, okay, whatever you want me to do with this, I will do. Because it brings eternity into view. And what becomes most important to you isn't everything that you own, but all that you have in Christ. Look, look back with me and, and, and we'll close with this. At Acts chapter 2, verse 47. We'll start in 46 because it's so neat to see that that I believe there's still so many... It's the same thing going on. Even right after Pentecost, where the church is still early, after persecution has come, they're they're still meeting the way that they did in the beginning. And now God's grace is, is dumped upon them, lavished upon them, instead of withdrawing and and hiding because of persecution. They're being more bold and God graces them upon grace. But we see God's grace in 46 and 47. It's just displayed in a different way. Day by day, so explaining how the early church meant. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. We see this idea of one mind again. And breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. There's the word grace. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Except for the grace that is being shown them is not so much grace from God, but grace from the people. That's what we see here. A favorable disposition on the part of all those in Jerusalem. That instead of going right into persecution, they were actually looked on favorably by all the people. But in Acts chapter 4, this is different. This isn't the grace of people. This is the grace of God being lavished upon them. That God is looking on them with favor. And as a result, that grace of God does something and it changes them. And you can see it in the way that they live and the way that they act and the way that they relate one with another. And and isn't that something that, that you and I need? We need relationships where we are seeing God work in and through us, among us. Notice here too, I'll just share a little bit of what we're going to look at next week. That when it says, verse 34, going back to Acts chapter 4, when it says, For there was not a needy person among them, you have to remember what the context is. It's talking about the church. It's talking about this group of believing crowd. <laughs> it's not talking about all of Jerusalem. That doesn't mean that within the confines of all of Jerusalem there was not one poor person. No, I'm sure there were many poor people. But among the church itself, there was not a poor person. Why? Because they were looking after each other. And and what does that teach us? That teaches us that, that first we, we need to look after one another that we need to make sure that we are loving on one another. That we are looking after one another. And then when we look after one another, then we can go out. And and the walls that that we build up around our church and and around our very lives, we can break down those walls and we can reach the the people that live next to us. And we can reach even even the homeless that come here in this and that, which we are involved in. But what I'm saying is, first and foremost, what we see as, as they were reaching each other. And they were living for one another. As they were honoring Christ. So what, what do we do with this? And, and this is in your, your bulletin notes. As far as your points to ponder. And, and we'll keep number two for next week. But, but just consider this. Consider how this, this abundant grace was upon them all. God's grace was working in such a way that the entire church was affected. Can you imagine? My, my, my first question for me has been, how is God's grace working in my life? How is God's grace working in your life? Do I see manifestations of God's grace? If you really want to know the answer, ask your wife or ask your husband or ask somebody who's very close to you do they see God's grace manifested in your life? Uh, Another question would, would be, do you see God's grace being manifested here at RBC? And if not, why? Perhaps one of the reasons why you don't see God's grace being manifested is because you're on an island. And you're not in any relationships with others. And if that's the case, praise the Lord, come and join us in these community groups. Maybe others are you are saying, oh, Pastor Jason, I totally know what you're talking about. I am so plugged in. I have so many friends here. I am growing. I am seeing God work in this guy and that. Man, praise the Lord, come and bring others with you. Bring us all in so that we can all have that. So we can grow in godliness with one another. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we stop and we acknowledge You for the wonderful, great God that You are. For putting Your grace on display and allowing us to see in the, in the early church just how Your grace was manifested. How Your Gospel, how the good news of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was testimony of the early church time and time again, Lord. Was testified to. Was preached We pray here that that would be the same among us. That we would share your good news with others and that your grace would be upon us. Your abundant grace would be upon us and that you would change us more and more into the image of your Son. That you might receive glory. That we might honor you in our relationships with one another and that we might reach those around us you and that you might continue to build your church for it's in the precious name of jesus christ our risen lord and savior that we pray
0: amen hey thanks for being with us today That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.